We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time, it's time. for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host, Gavin Phipps. And I'm joined this evening by Kedigalan Media's Jie Ting Ye. Good to be here. And ICRT's Central Taiwan correspondent, Donovan Smith. Yeah, great to be on. Tonight we'll be discussing overseas visits by Taipei Mayor Ke Wen-je and Kaohsiung Mayor Han Guo-yu, harsh criticism of the National Communications Commission's battle to stop the spread of fake news, a record-breaking Airbus deal, and an end to always open for some 400 7-11s across the island. But we'll begin with the DPP being rocked this week after former Premier William Lai appeared to put a spanner in the works of President Tsai Ing-wen's re-election bid after he registered for the DPP. PP's presidential primary on Monday. Speaking to reporters, Lai said his decision to compete in the primary was not based on personal reasons, but was in response to calls by the DPP's grassroots supporters who were concerned the party could lose the presidency and its majority in the legislature next year. Now, Tsai registered on Thursday and told reporters at the DPP headquarters that she's seeking re-election despite opposition from Beijing because she believes the DPP and Taiwan both need her and she wants to continue shouldering the responsibility for Taiwan. Now, the two-party heavyweights both seeking 2020 nominations resulted in DPP lawmakers as well as city and county councillors getting themselves all over the news as they voiced their support for their preferred candidates. And that led to a strong rebuke from DPP chairman Zhuo Rongtai, who warned party officials to stop publicly expressing their personal opinions concerning who they believe should be the 2020 presidential candidate. Now, Zhuo warned that if the party officials and elected members continue to display such partisanship, it will lead to divisions, infighting and factionalism within the DPP. Now, the KMT hasn't escaped pre-primary squabbling, though, as the director of the party's Organisational Development Committee called on its presidential hopefuls to hold negotiations in order to choose the party's 2020 candidate. And according to Li Jiuhua, such discussions would both simplify and make the nomination process run smoothly. And he says that former new Taipei City Mayor Eric Ju and former Legislative Speaker Wang Jingping should voice their opinions as to whether Kaohsiung Mayor Han Guoyu should be allowed to enter the race. Now, Han's inclusion in the KMT primary has seen mixed reactions within the party. And although Chairman Ujani has said that he backs Han's being considered for the role, others are voicing concern that he should possibly stay in Kaohsiung and serve out his term as mayor there before going on to bigger things. So, Jieting, there we go. We've got the Tsai Ing-wen and William lie running and squabbles win the KMT? Well, I think in on the DPP end, this is um, unprecedented, right? As with uh, Taiwan's young democracy, we're in pretty uncharted territory here where you have a um, primary challenger to the incumbent president running for re-election. Um, you know, I think this move came as a surprise to a lot of people. Um, I mean, not that, um, you know, they... Not that Lai was a surprise candidate, but, you know, they kind of thought that the question of whether Tai was actually going to represent the party was sort of over and people were kind of falling in line to say, OK, we're going to fight this um, general election. And then you have this uh, William Lai coming out and, you know, kind of taking everybody back to the primary level again. Um, so no, I think it's a. Uh, least to say it's a uh, you know very interesting time yeah um well I, i'm looking at this whole thing 
And I'm thinking, you know, you know, fiction, you know, like Game of Thrones is just way too simple. Um, this, I, I'm looking at what's going on both in, on the on the DPP side and on the KMT side, and <clears throat> it's almost hard to hard to know where to start. There's so much going on. Um, I mean, this this election is shaping up. Um, to be the the most complicated, convoluted, and and uh, dramatic, I think, since the two thousand election. Um, now, the um, <clears throat> on the on the DP, DPP side, as Ting mentioned, I mean, obviously, this is a very dramatic move that Lai Qingde has finally come out into the race. Again, it's not, as he noted, it's not a huge surprise. A lot of people are expecting um, <clears throat> him to run at some point. Um, now, I, I think what's very, very interesting on that side is uh, that apparently rumor has it that he sent word via Chenju to uh, give Tai a heads up, but he didn't talk to her personally. So he is looking kind of disloyal uh, in, inside the party, and I think that there's a lot of people who are kind of upset about that. As you saw, there was uh, 30, 35, 37 or something uh, legislators came out. Um, Tsai, on the other hand, looks very loyal. After the past election, uh, she picked uh, Lin Jialong and Chen Qimai and put them in the cabinet. Uh, so she's sort of showed loyalty to the troops. Um, and Lai Qingde isn't. So I think that's a very that's kind of an interesting thing here. Now, the, the what's what's quite surprising is apparently the DPP. Um, the DPP primary is essentially just an opinion poll, um, and you'd assume, and if if it goes on schedule, and there's always a jaw of the chair uh, has already made some noises that they may delay it, which would buy Tsai and her allies some time to try and derail or change it or whatever. Um, uh, but the, the, apparently the opinion poll will be held on uh, April 17th. And if you look at the polling, you'd assume then that uh, William Lai would just simply walk away with it. Um, but it's a, it's a little bit bizarre that the you know that it's a 100% opinion poll, whereas it's 30, 70 uh, on the KMT side. Um, so, uh, you know, a lot of the protestations of loyalty on the part of the DPP uh, members and, uh, you know, are, are, you know, I don't know how much that's going to sway the opinion poll. Um, and it also brings to mind, you know, why don't they uh, just simply give, you know, Joe jo Lynn uh, a, a DPP membership card and, and she'd win it. Um, so I don't know. I, it's, so this is, this is going to be very dramatic because I think that there's going to be a lot of people are going to show loyalty to Tsai. Um, and I suspect that she's more popular than the polls suggest. Right, I mean, Jetting, what about the KMT? I mean, do you see Hang Yu running? He said he won't, but all the, I mean, the local tabloids, the local newspapers have all been putting him on the front page for weeks saying he's going to run and he could win. I mean, I, I think right now, um, since he is such a celebrity, for better or for worse, um, you know, there's, there's nothing much more to talk about on the KMT side other than, well, is Han Guoyu going to run or not, right? Because everybody else who's running, it's like, well, yeah, we know these people. They've been around for a long time. We've seen them around. They're not exactly the most exciting or, you know, again, for better or for worse, entertaining people to look at. Um, you know, right now, I think there's a, you know, definitely, in my opinion, for the worst, 
um, you, you, there is a very big value in sort of having enter, you know, candidates who are entertaining and, and, you know, in having some sort of shock value and having some sort of, you know, news and, and, you know, to talk about every day, right? And Han Guoyu sort of is the only person on the KMT side that fits that bill right now. Um, but I think what's interesting is at the moment, if, um, the KMT, you know, if, if the sort of general, sense is that the KMT has a good shot at winning, right? Then the chances of Han Guoyu coming out is probably going to be a little less, right? Because then you have all these other people who basically have been waiting and vying for the presidential seat um, for, you know, their entire careers. Basically, they're saying, okay, now we have a chance. If I can get the KMT nomination, I have a good shot of winning. Um, but then if there, for some reason, the DPP picks up momentum, and the KMT says, oh, okay, actually, we now might have a pretty tough fight on our end, then they might get uh, Han Guoyu to come out. Um, you know, we've seen in 2016, in 2015, um, basically KMT overturning its own primary results, right? So, you know, I think uh, we've definitely seen that happen before. Um, so, you know, I, I think they are going to eventually end up with a person that they think is going to have the best shot at winning. Right, Donovan, I mean, do you, do you see Wang Jingping or Eric Ju actually saying, telling the KMT, OK, I won't run, hang or you can run for me? <laughs> well, they, they've already announced that they're, 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 or they've already suggested that they're going to do a negotiation. Um, Wu Duanyi has been beating the drum. The KMT website has been beating the drum on uh, drafting Hang Guoyu. And, and, and this I actually find really quite actually shocking um, because uh, Wu Duanyi, he's been the guy, and the KMT just as a party has always been very sort of, you know, it's a, it, it, people, it's a, you know, it's, it's, it's a long-term process. You sort of put in your dues, and then eventually you get to be an old guy, and then you get to, to run. And to have, uh, you know, have Wu Duanyi come out and say, uh, we want to, you know, we want to draft Hang Guoyu, or, or to seriously suggest it, is a bit surprising, because I, I, he's the guy who's put in his time. He's the guy who's the party chair, who's the presumptive nominee, uh, of the party, and for him to be saying this is quite shocking. Now, one possibility, and I'm, I'm speculating wildly here, is that he's doing it because Wang Jinping has already come out and announced that he's going to run. And in the last election, Wang Jinping uh, was allied with Han Guoyu, Liu Xiuyan, Hou Yuyi, and those guys, and he united the factions and pulled off a massive victory. So really the base of power in the KMT, I think, has shifted to Wang Jinping. So my theory is is that Wu Duanyi is supporting Han Guoyu to split the to split the two apart and to break apart their that power base base, but that's pure speculation on my part. Right, we'd have to wait for that to make the front pages of the United Daily News and the China Times. Anyway, moving on, Taipei Mayor Kerwin Jur has been visiting the United States this week, and trips to New York, Boston, Atlanta, and Washington D.C. were on the cards. Now, Kerr touted his administration's drive to push for sustainable development while in New York. He talked about city to city ties in Atlanta. 
Atlanta, but it turned to cross-strait issues when he visited Washington. Now, while Kerr was rather tight-lipped about a meeting he had with US government officials from the State Department's Asia desk there, he did say they talked about the US being Taiwan's most important ally. Now, he was a bit more outspoken, though, during an event hosted at the Heritage Foundation, also in the US capital, where he said that the lack of direct cross-strait dialogue is a major obstacle to any improvement in ties between Taipei and Beijing. He also told the audience there that he believes the only way to correct this is to communicate with China in what he called an open and friendly manner. And he also went on to say that whether it's the KMT's 1992 consensus policy or the Tsai administration's maintaining of the status quo ideal, there is simply no mutual trust between the two sides. So, Jieting, there, he was in your neck of the woods. Nearly. Uh, yeah, I mean, um, I mean, to be fair, right, people come to the U.S., um, you know, sort of pretty, pretty often, right? And I mean, this is in an election year. Um, and, you know, so I think a lot of people are trying to put in their dues, so to speak, and, you know, do a U.S. tour um, for, you know, a couple of reasons, right? One, obviously, to... Um, see if, you know, to communicate with um, people in the U.S., uh, either government officials or, um, you know, kind of what they've been up to, get a little bit of a sense of what the U.S., how the U.S. is going to, um, you know, what their policy towards Taiwan specifically on some of these issues that they care about. Um, But also um, there's a big part of it, which is to um, talk to the Taiwanese communities here um, and also do some fundraising, right? And so that's... um, you know, and I, I think there's also a very big part of that is to say, okay, I came to the U.S., I was able to do some, get some stuff done, um, and have that be part of their um, sort of PR uh, blitz back to the audience in Taiwan. Um, you know, with Cohen, uh, he obviously, I, you know, he is a very, um, just even within the uh, green-leaning Taiwanese communities here, he's a very polarizing figure, right? And so, you know, there's a... There's definitely been a lot of uh, internal debate and um, just you know controversy over you know exactly what to do with Coenza, um, you know, and I think his trip is in general I think has um, you know been I would say it's pretty successful, um, you know, given sort of like what he, the the sort of three main uh, goals that um, politicians in Taiwan come to U.S. for. Right, Donovan, I mean, do you think Kerwinger could have concentrated on city-to-city issues? He could have concentrated on Taipei-America issues, but he seems to have branched out into cross-strait issues. Predictable? Yes, very much so. Um, I mean, obviously in the press uh, here, what they keep the, the, the term that keeps coming up is job interview. Um, <clears throat> going to the U.S. as part of a job interview. Not exactly sure if they're referring to the U.S. government a la like 2012 when the U.S. government basically tipped their hand and said, we don't want Tsai Ing-wen to win. Um, <clears throat> if it's that or if it's, uh, if it's a job interview in the sense of, uh, you know, having some foreign policy chops and all of that. But yeah, he was talking about a lot of foreign policy policy issues. Um, and it's looking increasingly, he, he's definitely testing the waters on a presidential run. Um, and whether he does decide to, to run or not, I, I'm watching very closely. Um, I think all of us are. Um, <clears throat> now, I think what's also very interesting, and I think as, as Ting alluded, of course, there's that the, he's a very polarizing figure in the U.S., uh, you know, in the U.S., Taiwanese-American community. I, I think he can speak better on that than I can. But 
Uh, one group, uh, the TAA, uh, specifically refused to see him, and another, FAPA, said they would see him, but in secret. And then Cohen <laughs> went out and said, you know, oh, oh I'm going to meet them in secret. Uh, so he's, he's not exactly Mr. Subtlety. But, um, yeah, I, I think he's, he's, he, he, he was speaking a lot on foreign policy issues, cross-strait relations and U.S. relations. And I think that that signifies that he, he was doing the trip in, in part, at least, as to test the waters in a presidential run. Well, of course, Jetting, going back to the FAPA, Curry's all the time there. I mean, yeah, so... So apparently what had happened, according to uh, FAPA President Mike Guo, was that um, the the Ke team has been talking with FAPA about doing a visit or at least visiting the headquarters in D.C. Um, and, uh, you know, there was obviously Ke was sort of this controversial, um, this trip has been sort of controversial. So um, I think FAPA's original sort of attitude was, no, we're not really sure, uh, we need to talk about it. And then Ke's team basically was like, well, you know, in 2014, the Taiwanese-American community really welcomed Ke Wenzhe, and, you know, he really wants to, you know, kind of come back and at least say hi. Um, and so FAPA's uh, arrangement was, okay, well, we can come in as a personal visit, um, you know, but we don't, want, we don't want this to become sort of a publicity stunt for you. Um, and we don't want to kind of have this be public. Yet then, as you mentioned, Cohenza turns around and says, hey, you know, I'm visiting Papa, but they don't want me to, you know, they said it was supposed to be secret or it was supposed to be a personal visit. And so then everybody comes back to Papa and says, whoa, wait a moment. Um, what about, you know, well, how did this happen? And so basically Mike turned around and said, actually, you know what, like, we're not seeing him anymore. Um, you know, I, I think... Uh, the the thing with the TAA also, I mean, I, I mentioned in a um, article that I wrote for Kanagawa Media last week that um, you know TAA doesn't see anybody that comes to the U.S. Right? KMT politicians come to the U.S. The TAA doesn't see them. KMT politicians do not expect the TAA to see them, nor do they call them. Right? And the TA doesn't ex- have to explain itself. You know, why why aren't we you know seeing my angel? It's just People just understand that it's not done, right? So for the TAA to actually issue a public statement explaining how they, you know, why, sort of kind of explaining their decision to people, kind of justifying why they made this decision, shows that, yeah, they understand this was a really tough decision for them, especially since four years ago, they, you know, everybody welcomed Cohen to and, he, you know, everywhere he went, it was a blockbuster event for um, the same Taiwanese-American communities that are now um, kind of turning away from him, right? And I, I do think part of this has to do with his personality, right, where he kind of comes in and he doesn't really show any reciprocity or, you know, sort of kind of decorum and respect as, oh, okay, you know, I understand you, you may be a little tough for you to accept, you know, to... You know, we might not see eye to eye on everything, but, you know, like there are things we can work together, right? So if he came with that kind of attitude, I think he would have been, you know, things would have been a lot smoother. Um, but then again, you know, he might not make the news as much, right? And he might not have the, you know, the following that he has for people who see him as an unconventional sort of like talk, say it as it is kind of politician, right? So, you know, 
there we go. Right, let's talk about another trip now. And of course, Kaohsiung Mayor Han Guoyu is visiting Hong Kong, Macau, Shenzhen and Xiamen over the coming days. A trip that has proven somewhat controversial due to both questions over his possible interactions with Chinese officials and also some strange edicts by the government over what he can say and do while on the other side of the Taiwan Strait. Now, for his part, Han says he plans to take on the role of a super salesman while there. And the primary purpose of the trip is to boost Taiwan's economy, promote Kaohsiung manufacturing products and of course the city's image and he wants to promote the city's image in China he said there we go he also said he won't talk about politics during the visit so there you go Donovan do you think he's going to do this or he's going to talk about everything <laughs> um, <clears throat> you know I, 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 I suspect that it, you know per- personally he's hoping that he can avoid the politics uh, but I think China has other uh, has other things in mind I think that they'll bring up the politics and so the question is, how is he? How does he respond? I, I don't see him uh, him initiating uh, conversations on politics um, intentionally. Although he may, uh, you know, he, he is a little unpredictable. Um, I think the big news here that that, that, we're, that we're all missing is that uh, Nantou County Commissioner Lin Minzun is also in China, uh, going to Beijing, and Taichung Vi, uh, Vice Mayor Ling Hu is also in China. Um, so there's a big sort of KMT local government push uh, in China, sort of straight across the board. So um, right now, there's actually, th- I believe, three delegations at least of local governments in China right now. Um, and I think it, it'd be curious to see how they all respond to the political issues, because you know China's going to bring them up. Well, I think um, being, you know, pol- quote-unquote political issues or quote-unquote being political in Taiwan's political, you know, in Taiwan's lexicon really means to support pro-Taiwan policies, right, or to support independence, right? Because if they go to China and basically, you know, nod their heads and agree enthusiastically with everything, you know, the, their Chinese counterparts say about Taiwan being part of the Chinese fold or, you know, we are looking forward to you know, a glorious future together, right? If they agree to all those things or if they even kowtow and, you know, just, right, that, that's, not, that's not being political for some reason, right? It's only, you know, it, it's only expressing one side or one stance of the question that makes you political, right? For, you know, for, for some reason, that's just the way people understand that in, in Taiwan. So, um, yeah, I'm... I'm pretty sure when they go this is going to come up and they're you know they're going to do what they consider to be quote-unquote the not political but the more polite or you know the, the, the polite thing to do right which is to say yeah of course i mean donovan do you think that mr han could have a conversation with some chinese officials behind closed doors and they could broach his possibly running for president um I, I, to be completely honest with you i have no idea it's entirely possible um <clears throat> It's entirely possible that he may want that conversation. It's entirely possible he would avoid such a conversation at all, if at all possible. Um, I mean, China definitely would love to influence the election. Uh, I'm not sure that you know cornering him in a in a, in a dark room somewhere is the, the, the tactic they choose. But they might. And there's all these rumors, of course, about that they supported his run for mayor. I haven't seen too much direct evidence of that. So I think that this it's just speculation. Right. Now we have to take a short break right now, but we'll be right back after these rather important commercials.
Welcome back to Taiwan This Week. And while the National Communications Commission has come under fire from lawmakers in recent months on the back of concerns over the spread and reporting of fake news, Premier Su Jung Chung joined the fray this past Sunday, telling reporters that the NCC is failing to adequately tackle the problem of fake news and needs to review its oversight policies. Su also described the commission as being ineffective and said that it appears not to be following through on government policies aimed at dealing with the issues. Now, Commission Chairwoman Nicole Jan responded to the Premier's harsh comments, saying that her office is making an effort, only it's not really visible to the public, but it will step up its work to tackle the problems of fake news and disinformation. So, Donovan, the Premier there, you know, rather harshly criticising the National Communications Commission. Uh, yeah, uh, and, and you know, that's his own government. So uh, for him to come out and publicly do that and shame, I mean, he's, just, he's the premier and, the, you know, these guys theoretically report to him. Um, <clears throat> so I'm kind of curious as to why he did it so publicly. Um, I suppose it could be because he wants to have, you know, have an image of doing something about it. Uh, that's really all I can think of as, as to why he did it so publicly. Um, and, of course, with fake news, the real troubling part is, is of course, issues of what is the source of it. Um, and, obviously, you know, where does free speech and uh, outright lies, uh, you know, where, where, you know, what's the line? And, of course, what's the line between a, a partisan viewpoint and a lie? And, I, and this is all very, very tricky. And, of course, there's concerns about China. Uh, intentionally spreading uh, fake news, which does appear to be the case. Right, Jieting, the Premier slamming the NCC. Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree with uh, Donovan. I think it's, uh, you know, to... It, it, it seems like it's a move to show the public that, you know, the, the government's taking this seriously, right? Um, you know, I, I think one issue here, again, also with uh, just exactly what um, people expect the NCC to do, right? Um, you know, I, I think in terms of uh, in terms of free speech and fake news, right? We're, right, because we're not just talking about news that's obviously fake, right? And you know, even that requires a lot of um, you know. Do we have another commission or an independent investigation as to whether or not you know the news item is fake or not, right? And then there's you know sort of a much bigger issue of um, you know, narrative, misleading, um, you know, uh, sensational, you know, things that are sort of not, you know, exactly factually false, but are designed to um, mislead or manipulate public opinion, right? And, you know, I, I think the history of Taiwan is such that freedom of speech um, is, uh, was such a highly valued, um, sort of almost a sacred concept during um, the KMT authoritarian era that now it's almost very hard to kind of come back the other way and say, okay, well, there's obviously um, speech and obviously information, obviously content that's out there that's, um, you know, manipulating the public for nefarious, uh, to nefarious ends, right? So how do we deal with this, um, you know, without saying, you know, feeling that we're compromising on free speech? Right. There's and something I can add. Also, oh, sorry. Um, no, it's just uh, obviously there's also the worry that, you know, today you attack um, some, you know, you open sort of the, the door for the government to, um, you know, punish certain media outlets for, um, you know, say even legitimate fake news or legitimate 
um, you know, bad uh, actions, right? How do you then prevent another, um, a, a government later on using the same excuses, but, you know, for their own gain? Right, Donovan, I mean, do you think it could, if you were working for the NCC and the Premier came out and slagged you off, would you consider that to be bad form? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, obviously it's, uh, you know, I mean, it's, 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 it's not a nice feeling when your boss goes out into the media and, uh, and uh, slags you off. I mean, that's pretty, uh, that's pretty harsh. Uh, sorry, sorry about jumping in there, Ting. I, I, I thought you were done there. Um, I was actually going to elaborate on one point uh, that, that uh, Ting touched on. Um, and I think that uh, Sue and his generation, they remember when the KMT owned all the media. So they they remember a time when that was uh, that that when the government was behind it and uh, and but also they I think that there's a lot of frustration coming out from the last election when there were a lot of stories that were put out there and then were picked up uh, in, in some cases by the media which and were untrue um, and so I think the DPP feels a bit besieged uh, I think might be the word. Right, let's move on. And Starlux Airlines signed a contract this week to purchase 17 A350 XWB aircraft from Airbus in what was the largest ever single order by a Taiwanese carrier with the European Aerospace Corporation. Now, Airbus will reportedly deliver 5 A350 900s and 12 A350 1000s over a three-year period from the end of 2021 through 2024. And in addition to those aircraft, Starlux were also releasing several other now, of course, the airline was founded in May of last year by Jung Wo Wei, the former chairman of Ever Airways, and it hopes to start operations, well, either later this year when it gets its license or next year at the latest. And there are going to be Asia destinations, and within two years, Jung says the airline could be flying to North America. Now, we've talked about the airline before, but now it's got aeroplanes, Donovan, nearly got aeroplanes, but will it take off? I, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not an aerospace industry <laughs> expert, but um, I, a few, couple of things do, do jump to mind. I, and I, I'm a little bit worried about hubris here um, in that, I, uh, you know, I mean, obviously the, the third terminal at the, the Taoyuan Airport is uh, delayed yet again. Uh, you know, and that who knows when that thing's going to be done. Now they're estimating another four years out, but it, that, you know, it, it was supposed to be done by now. Um, and they still haven't. Uh, I believe they still haven't even got a uh, contractor to to actually build it. Uh, you know, so they don't have anyone to, to to do. They're trying yet again to get somebody to build it. Uh, and also, he said that the that they were not go- and that he was not going to fly any planes out of Taichung or Kaohsiung. So I'm a little bit concerned that that's a huge order of airplanes, and. I'm sure there's still some available slots at Taoyuan, but, you know, is he going to be able to fill them all? Um, And how well does – now, obviously, you know, he comes out of Evergreen Air and EVA, EVA, uh, so he does know a lot about what he's talking about. uh, But it does seem like he's putting down a a huge bet. I mean, Jieting, do you think – obviously, a Taiwan airline – do you think maybe Jung could know something we don't and he could be putting most of these planes somewhere else in Asia? Um, yeah, again, um, I'm, I'm neither am I an aerospace or airline industry expert. Um, but I, I will point out um, there's something special about the airline industry, right? Because um, especially for international carriers, um, the the airline um, and also the airport, right, is sort of 
the um, the, the sort of the first thing that uh, foreigners experience and see about a country, right? So there's something representative about um, an airline, about you know, sort of the image and the the, the you know of that of the home country, right? And so I think um, just as you know, as somebody who is uh, um, not in Taiwan but interested in seeing um, you know grand Taiwan kind of improve globally, there's something exciting to see about, okay, you know, there is a um, airline, you know, sort of an air, a project that's growing and, you know, I, you know, would love to see this succeed and for people to fly this uh, new airline and say, hey, you know, this is a Taiwanese airline. They're doing pretty well. It's a, you know, this is a, this is a, you know, pretty, pretty nice. And, you know, by extension, Taiwan must be pretty nice. Um, so I, yeah, I mean, I do obviously hope that you know he knows what he's talking about, and uh, you know this thing takes off. But of course, Donovan, like Donovan said, Donovan, where's he going to put his airplanes? I mean, do you think he could maybe, like I hinted out there with Jia Ting, he maybe could be putting them somewhere else before he gets room for Tao Yuan? <clears throat> well, I mean, <clears throat> because of the the way that um, landing rights are negotiated, uh, I mean, he, I think he has to have all of his planes based in Taiwan. Uh, I mean, obviously they can fly to all kinds of destinations around the world, but. If he's ruling out Kaohsiung and 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 uh, Taichung, then then he has to have all of them based out of Taoyuan. I, I don't really see any other options. Those are the only three international outlets, and I don't see unless he's got some trick up his sleeve where he's negotiated with another country to be able to base them out of that country, which is not not normal. Um, I think he's going to, you know, I, I, I guess he he figures he's going to be able to get the. It, He's he's going to be able to get the rights to do it out of out of Taoyuan. Um, so yeah, uh, and the other odd thing I, fi- I find about this is is what is it with Taiwanese companies and adding Lux in the name? I, I you know we got Lux Gen, <laughs> Star Lux, and, um, and there does seem to be a trend there too. It's because it's Luxy. Yes, apparently. There you go, yeah. Anyway, before we go this week, all is open. 7-Eleven is set to become a thing of the past in some areas, as some 400 of the convenience store chain's outlets are set to no longer be open 24 hours a day. Now, according to Uni President, which operates 7-Eleven, the overnight closures come as the company is looking to reduce costs and save on manpower. It also comes on the back of news that 7-Elevens in Japan are also struggling to stay open around the clock in some areas. Now, Taiwan has over 10,000 convenience stores scattered across the island, which, of course, includes 7-Eleven, Family Mart, OK Mart, High Life, and, of course, the rare Thai sugar convenience store, which are becoming rarer and rarer and rarer. But, Donovan, will it affect you, mate? There you go. 7-Eleven's not open 24-7. Well, clearly, this is, the, the, this, this is definitely one of the signs that uh, the end of civilization is nigh. Um, I, that Seven Elevens would not be twenty four hours a day is is really quite depressing. Um, but I, I seriously, I, I, on a demographic side, I, you know, that there's just simply not enough, uh, you know, young bodies out there. I think that they can get to man some of these stores, uh, particularly in remote areas. I mean, they, they used an example in the newspaper the other day, though, also of. A case where you know in Kaohsiung, on the right near the Love River, there's two 7-Elevens right near each other, and so they just close one of the two. Uh, so I suppose that, that kind of makes sense. So I guess really the question is, is which 7-Elevens? And I don't know if the 7-Eleven nearest to me is one of those. I suspect it isn't. Um, I believe they have five thousand some odd total. So I think this is still less than ten percent. 
Right, jetting. So when you return to these shores, what will you do if you want to buy something after midnight? Uh, no, that that is a very good question because um, basically, no matter where I go, there's always not one but two, you know, options just right downstairs, right? And that is, um, you know, one of the things that's completely not available to you know ninety nine percent of the people in the United States, right? And it, it's actually gotten to a point where the the sort of overabundance in, in, of 7-Elevens and 24-hour convenience stores in Taiwan has become this point of pride for Taiwanese-Americans. Um, so much so that uh, in 2016, there was an article that came out in uh, TaiwaneseAmerican.org saying that uh, Taiwanese 7-Elevens were opening in four U.S. cities. And the article got over 10,000 shares on Facebook. Um, turned out to be a April uh, fool's joke, um, but as you know, you can see, you know how much this has become sort of you know part of the identity for um, a lot of Taiwanese Americans out here. That's a funny identity. I mean, Donovan. I mean, obviously, th- like you pointed out, they're close together. But of course, there's also family marts close together and high lifes close together. Do you think this could this could be a domino effect and also affect some high lifes of family marts? Maybe we'll see them closing overnight as well. I, I think that they'll follow the. I mean, I think they're going to watch what, how that how it impacts Seven Eleven. Uh, I did find it somewhat ironic that the name of Seven Eleven originally, you know, when it started in the U.S., was actually referred to opening at seven and closing at eleven at night. And apparently, the ones that the, the four hundred now are actually going back to that original model. Um, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I think the other companies are just going to watch, wait, and see. Um, now, I, I, something they've been talking about, uh, you know, for quite a while now. Um, and they're already experimenting with is automated stores. And, I, and I'm a little bit surprised that 7-Eleven didn't hold out a little bit longer as, as just as, for the face of it. In other words, you know, the, the, you know because I think they're going to have, you know, these automated stores. You know, they've, they've already got trial ones open. And uh, yeah, at some point in the, in the near future, I think that they're going to become much more ubiquitous. Automated 7-Eleven. You have automated stores, I take it, in San Francisco, Jieting. Yeah, and I think we are uh, just about to ban automated Amazon stores here in San Francisco. Oh. <laughs> so it, automated stores never took off then? Uh, I, I think there, you know, there's still people are having, you know, some second thoughts about them. Right, anyway, we'll have to see what happens here with the convenience stores, whether there'll be robots in them or people in them. Because I won't be able to have a conversation with a robot when I go there in the morning to buy my breakfast. Anyway, that's where we'll <laughs> leave it here on Taiwan This Week, and I've been joined today by Jia Ting Ye. Have a good weekend. And Donovan Smith. And great to be here. And thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcasts on iTunes and Android podcast apps where you can get access to all our previous shows. Tune in again next Friday evening at 8 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.